I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. If being a communist means being wrong about everything all the time, well, I guess they just don't want to be right. It's high noon for Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. Or follow the podcast on Parlor and Gab at I'm your moderator. You can also check out the merch site at www.cancelcotour.com and pick up some beautiful Be Reasonable gear. Today is the 63rd full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth, Hunter Biden. So congratulations, communists. You're wrong about everything. But sure, you made the right vote. Now, I can't get over what I was talking about yesterday regarding the study about people's level of information regarding the coronavirus and the fact that a full 90% of communists don't realize how few people who catch the coronavirus actually end up hospitalized. And the actual answer, according to this survey, whatever resources they were citing, is between 1% and 5%. Now, That is a pretty wide margin, and it is almost definitely incorrect that it's anywhere near 5%. See, that would be one out of every 20 people who got the coronavirus going to the hospital. That's crazy, and that doesn't happen. What we do have are a lot of false tests that are taken once someone is hospitalized for something else. And then as soon as they get a positive COVID test, that counts as a hospitalization for COVID, just like it counts as a death from COVID, even though it's not. So that's one of the things. But there are estimates of how many people have asymptomatic coronavirus and actually never get tested. And so, of course, they don't also end up in the hospital being tested for coronavirus. It's kind of impossible. So we have a massive number of people 
who have been infected and likely developed antibodies, but were never tested for either. So they are not a COVID case. And the more of those we have, the smaller and smaller the percentage of people who go to the hospital becomes. Because what they are doing is really only reflecting the number of people who have tested positive and end up in the hospital. And that number, too, is inflated. But regardless of that, it's odd to even pose that as a measure of whether or not someone is informed about the coronavirus. There's an enormous difference between one out of 100 people going to the hospital and one out of 20 people going to the hospital. That 1% versus 5% is actually an enormous difference. But 90% of them didn't know. And they say they have the science and they say they have the data. But they're also the sort of people that entertain the idea that math is racist. Of course, without math, you can't really have the science or the data. So if math is racist, then the science is racist. And then every communist telling you to follow the science is ipso facto racist. Which actually makes a lot of sense. I got into an interesting conversation last night. We were kind of having this uh, little dinner gathering where, of course, everyone wore masks even when outside because we had some sciencey people around and obviously I'm lying about that but there were some people who are the follow the science type and one of them who was a really sweet person by the way I'm not trying to insult this person in any way but we got into some conversation and she tried giving me the communist line about how the parties had flipped in terms of their approach to race uh, around the civil rights era. People actually believe that. I mean, it's it's provably not true. And the fact that she said it, you know, obviously annoyed me. And I said, that's not true. And, you know, she tried to argue back. And I was like, can you substantiate any of the things you're thinking? And I tried to do it in the nicest possible way. I was like, okay, well, how do you know that? Like, who told you that? What is the meaning of what you're saying? How can that be proven? And I was really trying to press her. And I said specifically, listen, I am not trying to like put you on the spot or make you feel stupid or do anything. What I want is for you to understand that the belief that you are spreading right now has no content and you don't know the content of it, but you're still using it to smear an entire political party and all its supporters based on something you yourself cannot explain even a little bit. And, you know, like I said, she was a nice person. Our conversation was extremely civil and she basically like took the L and admitted it. And she was like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, you have to think about how many of these beliefs you accept is true, even though you don't know the content of the belief. I've talked about this before, but so much of what is believed on that side is believed only on the basis of everybody knows, right? Everybody knows the parties just switched in the 60s. Well, no, not everybody knows that. Yes, I understand that in certain circles that's accepted as fact because it's helpful to their narrative and none of them have ever actually explored whether or not it's true. 
but it isn't true. And the everybody knows excuse doesn't give you any credit. Like, yes, I know if you're within the right circles of people and I was one on 10 with 10 commies, they would all agree that I was wrong and they would all accept each other as smart for having repeated that slogan. But it's still wrong. And of course, I'm happy anytime I get to go against 10 communists at once. Like I will go against a thousand communists at once and listen to all their points and smash them all down in order because that's just what I enjoy doing. But one-on-one or one-on-two like it was last night, there's not enough agreement there for them to hold on to these beliefs. There's no one else like coming in to save them and say, oh yeah, you're right and it's racist that you say that. Which I'm totally fine with them saying as well because then I can just go to that and be like, oh really? Explain the content of what you just said to me. Explain how me telling you that no, the parties did not switch in their stance on race is racist. It's actually not racist in any way to say that. And this stuff is kind of relevant right now with how we are being misled with the narrative around white supremacy. We had... Kamala Harris's own niece, Mina Harris, who is somehow famous for something, I guess. She has like 800,000 followers on Instagram. Perhaps she's an influencer. Maybe just being Kamala's niece is enough. But she wrote the other night and then deleted. This is on Twitter, by the way. The Atlanta shooting was not even a week ago. Violent white men are the greatest terrorist threat to our country. And you can see why she deleted it, of course, because the shooter in Boulder was not a white man. In fact, he was a Syrian refugee, as I discussed yesterday. But he was not only a Syrian refugee. He was a politically involved, on social media at least, Syrian refugee, who's now... In the United States. And we can already see this media story losing steam. The media has focused more attention on the Atlanta massage parlor murders, where six people were Asian and two people killed were white, and the shooter was white. That was a big deal to them. That was proof that calling the CCP virus, the Wuhan flu, gets people shot in real life. Now, you'd have to be deranged to put that together and think that that is a legitimate explanation of the scenario, knowing full well that the killer himself shot two white people and killed them and said specifically that the shooting was a result of his own sexual proclivities and shame about them. That's not what happened on Monday in Boulder. What we had on Monday in Boulder was an anti-white hate crime performed by a Trump-hating Islamic supremacist, and you can see all of this in his social media posts, slash conservative 
religious extremist. This isn't some woke secular leftist. This is a woke religious extremist leftist whose initial plans were to target Trump rallies and shoot up Trump supporters at the rallies as they went to see their president speak. Something that, until the last couple of years, would have been looked at as a patriotic display of political involvement. But he missed his opportunities to shoot up Trump rallies, so instead, he went and shot up a grocery store of random people. All 10 of his victims were white. He is a Syrian refugee who hates Trump supporters and is a religious extremist. This has every single one of the makings of what the left classifies as a hate crime. I wonder when they're going to start calling this a hate crime. He went and targeted specific sorts of people. He was going to initially target Trump supporters, but instead he just went and killed 10 white people. And of course, in the minds of Trump haters, all Trump supporters are white. And in fact, it's whiteness itself that makes them Trump supporters. So he targeted a particular race. And unlike the Atlanta shooter who shot six Asian people and two white people. This guy was 10 for 10 on the white people. At some point, we might want to wake up and consider that the only real racist hate movement that is organized, that is publicly accepted, is the anti-white racist hate movement propelled by the media and big tech and corporations, all of the old guard, all in conjunction with a Marxist ideology and agenda that teaches them to do exactly this, and all just a massive favor to the Chinese Communist Party. This was a hate crime, wasn't it? By what standard am I missing on the left's definition of hate crime. Would love to know. Someone can tell me. If I'm wrong, if I'm missing something here, I got to find out what it is. Someone, please tell me. Otherwise, why don't we get to start talking about anti-white hate crimes? And there was a hilarious meme yesterday. Uh, First, Babylon B wrote one of their satire articles, which was, the headline was hilarious. It was basically like, okay, well, we have uh, Black Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter, Asian Lives Matter, LGBT Lives Matter. And they were basically like, you guys are getting dangerously close to saying all lives matter, <laughs> which is an amazing and true point. But the kind of darker side of that observation is the fact that leaving out white lives mattering is actually what they've always freaked out about in saying all lives matter anyway, that somehow we're trying to say, and I don't even say all lives matter. 
it's obvious that all lives matter, just like it's obvious that black lives matter. Black lives matter is a political movement. The statement black lives matter is obviously true and only heinous racists would think otherwise. Okay, we don't need to constantly assert what everyone already knows unless we are advertising for a communist political movement. All right. All lives matter. That shouldn't be hard for people to say. But what they're really doing is just simply leaving out white lives. They're basically trying to get every other group together in that same communist political block and then exclude white people, which is many things, but none of them are good or woke or helpful. And hey, maybe this is just me being the dumb, crazy guy who says the things I say and not things like 50% of people who get COVID go to the hospital. You know, real dumb like I am. But we were promised unity. What happened to that? <laughs> but Joe Biden was going to come in with his moral righteousness and unify everyone behind this common cause of American betterment based on honesty and no more misinformation and no more lies and no more hate. That's weird, though, because it seems like all they've done is pit races against one another, open up the borders, destroying communities and allowing the free flow of drug and sex trafficking. And, you know, there's another part of this whole border thing that we don't really talk about too much. And they're great about covering it on the war room, but most outlets are not as laser focused on the border as the war room is. And one of the things that's really shocking that you don't think about too often is what exactly these people are signing up for when they decide to make the trip that Joe Biden has invited them on. I mean, imagine knowing that you are going to have to cross partially on foot, partially with some transportation, two or three or four countries to get to the American border. And there is a 100% chance that you'll be robbed of your possessions. If you're a woman, there's a very high likelihood that you will be raped. Many of those people will be killed. Many of those children will be stolen. That's just a fact. And Joe Biden is encouraging them to make that trip. And we know, or at least reports indicate, that the cartels are making up to $14 million per day doing this. This is not only a crisis for the country in terms of the management of this problem. It's also literally a crime against humanity, what they're doing. They are subjecting these innocent people in bad conditions, already bad conditions, to life-destroying conditions to get here. And they are promising them entry when they shouldn't be and legally can't be. And Jen Psaki, 
stands up there at her little podium every day talking about how everything's going just fine. And, you know, this is just a little problem we're having right now because we needed to set this situation back on the morally right course. She's really up there every day saying that, and there are really leftists who believe it. Meanwhile, Twitter says it's mistakenly censoring the photos of the detention centers. Yesterday, they released kind of some more friendly versions of what the detention centers looked like so that those could be the official pictures, not these not these scary conspiracy theorist real pictures. Like, yes, those pictures are real, too, but you have to remember those pictures were shared by people that we call conspiracy theorists. And I think you can probably hear my dog there. He uh, decided to join the show today. He's being a watchdog for workers coming and going, and he's being very annoying about it. But now I've now I've relegated his ass to sitting next to me. And on the floor so he can't see out the windows. But not like on the actual floor. I have a bed for him. And it's probably quite a bit more comfortable than the beds that Joe and Kamala are giving to immigrant children. And now Joe has done what any good communist illegitimate fake president would do and sent the world's first Asian-American female fake vice president to deal with the border crisis. Now that's going to be what Kamala is in charge of because we all know (laughs) that she's been so good at her jobs over the years. In fact, I hope that I have another conversation like the one I did last night and get to ask one of these commies, hey, What has Kamala Harris ever done? Like you say that she's a really powerful, capable, competent woman. What has she done that you know about that you can explain to me that she did a good job on? If you want to hear Kami stop talking, ask a question like that. They have no answers because, of course, there are no good answers. But the real truth is that they don't know. They were told Kamala was good and competent and smart, so they believe that. Kamala herself always refers to her greatest accomplishment as being the attorney general from the nation's largest state. But that's actually not an accomplishment. There are all sorts of people all over the country who get placed into specific political positions who are nonetheless totally incompetent. And some of them got there by nepotism, like the Andrew Cuomo's of the world. And some of them got there by having sex with people more powerful than they are. And trust me, I'm definitely not talking about Kamala Harris's relationship with Willie Brown here. Because me recounting that actual series of events, that is 100% specifically what put Kamala Harris in positions of political power, would make me a conspiracy theorist. Because 
anything and anyone, anything that is against what they want to hear is a conspiracy theory. And anyone who says true facts that they don't want to hear is a conspiracy theorist. So, see, it's not really about being wrong about things or offering up outlandish ideas. It's really only about your saying the thing they don't like. For instance, if I was to tell you that Democrat senators Tammy Duckworth from Illinois and Maisie Hirono from Hawaii said they would vote against all Biden nominees who are not members of racial minority groups, I would be a conspiracy theorist. Not because they didn't say it, they did say it. And in fact, they said the only way that they would approve of a white nominee is if that white nominee was uh, part of the LGBTQIA plus plus, et cetera, group. And again, if I say that that doesn't sound very woke, that actually sounds like specific out loud, direct, unmistakable racial discrimination, the sort that the country's goal ostensibly was to eliminate, then I would be a conspiracy theorist. Not because I'm wrong, just because they don't want to hear it. But the crazy thing is, if they don't want to hear that, why do they keep saying this shit? I mean, Maisie Hirono is an extraordinarily low IQ individual. I haven't had much chance to ever watch Tammy Duckworth conduct herself in a hearing, for instance. So I don't actually have an impression of who she is or what she's like, but I can glean quite a bit from this idea. If you are saying no to a nominee on the basis of their skin color, you are a racist. That is illegal. It's almost like they think that they can just reverse the civil rights era as long as they are very upfront about it and say, hey, the thing is, you know what? The civil rights era didn't go far enough because equality shouldn't have been the goal. Punishing white people forever for what their ancestors have done should be the goal. It would be nicer, honestly, if they would just come out and tell the truth about where they actually stand on these issues so that it would become more obvious to the rest of the country that they are the equivalent of Nazis. And it's not anything short of that. Okay, I know that it's hard to use that word that we're not supposed to call people Nazis. I know that it got used against Trump and Trump supporters because, as always, the communists are projecting. But what else is this? And do you want to know who else is a conspiracy theorist now? Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, literally one of the people who's doing the best work in the Senate and trying to actually hold this communist regime accountable. One of the few people that actually tried to get to the truth of the January 6th incident at the Capitol. And one of the very few people who actually tried to get 
to the bottom of election fraud. But the New York Times wrote this about Ron Johnson. Here, This is a direct quote. His continuing assault on the truth, often under the guise of simply, quote unquote, asking questions about established facts, is helping to diminish confidence in U.S. institutions at a perilous moment. Did you get all that? Let's break it down. His continuing assault on the truth by asking questions. Now, that is nonsense. Asking questions is 100% allowed. Even if it is a firmly established mathematical truth of the world, like, for instance, 2 plus 2 equals 4 and not 5, questioning that is absolutely no problem, as the communist movement is actually questioning that right now. That's part of the whole math is racist thing. Math should be different based on what your experience of math might be. And I'm sure there are people out there who experience math as two plus two equals five. It's just strange that none of them can describe how that's true. But they're mad at Ron Johnson questioning. And here's the big part. Established facts. That is some of the most Orwellian language I have ever encountered. If the facts are established, then no one needs to be questioning them. These facts are only established insofar as they are incorporated into the central narrative. These facts are the sorts of things that the New York Times repeats over and over and over again until they become something that everybody knows. For instance, the established fact that the parties actually switched positions on race in the 60s. And somehow, the party that cares about individualism and freedom and the Bill of Rights is the party that also groups people by race? No. The collectivist party in this country is the Democrat Communist Party. That's who does, does that. So I'm sorry that you believed that what you were saying was an established fact. It just doesn't happen to be so. It is also not an established fact that there is no evidence of election fraud. It's not an established fact that questioning the validity of this wholly illegitimate election is engaging in, quote unquote, the big lie. Also, that's not an established fact. It's not an established fact that Trump supporters went to the Capitol to riot and try to overthrow the government. Not an established fact. It's not true at all. It's not an established fact that Donald Trump incited violence. Again, not provable, not an established fact, not even true in the least. Almost every day, we find more and more established communist facts, fact there in quotes, to be untrue. And what the New York Times is really saying here is that they don't want that situation anymore. It's like, hey, 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 we're the New York Times. You're supposed to believe us. We have told you that these are established facts, and we have tried to demean your reputation if you challenge or question them. 
Don't you understand how this game plays? The state media tells you what the facts are and you simply believe them. End of story. That's what they're promoting here. But let's check out another established fact by the media. The established fact that Hunter Biden's laptop was actually Russian disinformation before the election. And now it's true. Today, Jen Psaki in her press conference was asked by one of the reporters who said, hey, you know, the Senate uh, Finance Committee report last year said that Hunter Biden received a payment of three and a half million dollars from the wife of the former Moscow mayor. What was that payment for? And Jen Psaki said, I'm not familiar with that claim. It doesn't sound like it's backed up by a lot of evidence. If you have evidence, maybe we can discuss it further. And he said, well, you know, it's in the Senate Finance Committee report. And she's like, yeah, well, I'm not familiar with that report. Really? Really? The fake president's press secretary is not familiar with the report in the official Senate record that says Joe Biden's son was indeed paid three and a half million dollars by the wife of the former mayor of Moscow. She's not familiar with that report. How exactly is she doing her job? What does she believe her job is? She doesn't think it's important to know the truth or the falsity of that statement. Apparently not. She's the perfect communist, just like all of these other communists, just like the 90% of communists who are absolutely fucking clueless about anything to do with the coronavirus, even though they believe that they have the science and the data and the information on their side. These people don't know anything. They legitimately don't know anything. They know what story they are supposed to be telling. Sometimes, usually they're reading it. And they have to read it because no one could actually formulate thoughts so stupid and detached from reality of their own volition. Thinking of original thoughts requires a basis of knowledge and then being able to connect that knowledge. That's not what they do. They read their statements. Jen Psaki actually knows the truth of that claim. And if she hasn't read that report, she should be fired immediately. But again, what she's really saying is it's an established fact that that computer is Russian disinformation. And so if you ask me questions that are challenging this established fact, then you're a conspiracy theorist. And not only that, what you're saying is so threatening to the country that I'm not going to answer you. You asking that question is actually promoting violence. Isn't that what we're supposed to believe? Isn't that what we're told? Anything that questions the central narrative is a promotion of riotous events like what happened on January 6th at the Capitol? That literally is what they want us to believe. So we're not allowed to ask questions about anything. I hope that this reporter goes back tomorrow and every day following until Jen Psaki actually reads that report and decides to have some response about it. 
What exactly did the former mayor of Moscow's wife give Hunter Biden three and a half million dollars for? And once we determine that, maybe we should ask about what the report says on Ukraine and China. It would be good if Jen Psaki could actually know the critical details of her job. Of course, for her to know these details and for to accept these details as true, then it would be really obvious that she's doing nothing more than performing as a mouthpiece for an illegitimate communist regime. But, oh, yeah, that's exactly what she's doing. And she's gone around with hammer and sickle hats on before. So I don't think she's even bothered by the idea. And speaking of Joe Biden's corruption and compromise vis-a-vis China, perfect segue, thank you very much. This article this morning is from The Hill. Blinken, U.S. won't push allies into us or them choice on China by Laura Kelly. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, or Anthony Blinken on Wednesday will warn that China is a threat to the, to the West, but the, the U.S. will not force allies to choose between Washington and Beijing, according to excerpts of a speech to be delivered at NATO headquarters. The Biden administration has made rebuilding alliances a key priority of its foreign policy as part of its efforts to confront and compete with China's ambitions on the world stage, which it has identified as the greatest challenge of the 21st century. Now, Stopping right there, the Biden administration, better known as the illegitimate Biden regime, does not care about rebuilding alliances. What they care about is setting everything back into the position it was under Barack Obama in his second term. Obviously, this is Barack Obama's third term. And pretending that the statement where other countries would have to choose between us or them is even a legitimate concept is nuts. These countries are already aligned with China on almost every level. Okay. Those aren't the sorts of allies we need, but moving on. According to the speech, the secretary recognized allies' individual priorities on their relationship with China, but called for democratic countries to cooperate to push back on what it views as Beijing's threats to the international order. This is a quote from Blinken. The United States won't force our allies into an us or them choice with China. We know that our allies have complex relationships with China that won't always align perfectly with ours, but we need to navigate these challenges together. That means working with our allies to close the gaps in areas like technology and infrastructure, which China is exploiting to exert coercive pressure. Well, that's interesting, Tony. Remember when we heard all that bullshit from the communist state media and the Democrat Communist Party politicians about how the United States needed to be a moral leader and a moral beacon in the world and that Donald Trump was somehow degrading that. Well, now we have a secretary of state underneath a wholly illegitimate president who believes that our problems with China are about technology and infrastructure and not the fact that they have concentration camps right now. See, not only is it okay for us to work with a country that has concentration camps, it's okay for other countries to do it as well, so long as it's, you know, what they want to do, because we wouldn't want to influence them in any way. 
That's the sort of thing Joe Biden could get in big trouble for. That's the sort of thing that might make China decide to release even more damning information on himself, his son, his brother, and the rest of his corrupt family. These statements are meaningless. This is the weakest foreign policy in the history of the United States. This is pathetic. This is a this is appeasement to a Nazi-style regime. They have concentration camps. When does it become okay to use the word Nazi? Is it when they have actual concentration camps? I think yes. Is it when politicians say that they will refuse to approve of any person who has a particular skin color and sexual orientation? I think yes. I think that those are both appropriate uses of the comparison to Nazi Germany. But the secretary will also say that the U.S. is prepared to cooperate with Beijing where it is necessary, in particular, tackling global issues of climate change, eliminating COVID-19 and preparing against the next pandemic. What? So the three things that we are going to work in conjunction with China on are climate change that they are causing and trying to exploit us for the COVID pandemic that they caused and used to destroy our economy and so many people's lives and try to insert an illegitimate president into the White House, which they believe they successfully did, but they did not successfully do because everybody fucking knows it and it's going to come out and then everything will be set right again. And then the next pandemic, Oh, well, where's the next pandemic going to emerge from? Are you going to kick it up here? Like in St. Paul, Minnesota, for instance? I mean, that is what Johns Hopkins proposed in the SPARS document that they've released. And if anybody wants that document, hit me on Telegram. I have it. You know what? I'm going to put it in the information stream right now. So what he wants to productively work in consort with China on are three issues that China has caused and China makes worse and our complicity, our cooperation with China on these issues does nothing but weaken the position of the United States of America. Okay, he is literally working for China. The Biden administration has committed to reassuring allies that is putting an end to the Trump administration's America first approach, which was criticized for being combative and bullying. <laughs> this is pathetic. I mean, imagine being the person that writes such anti-American bullshit for a real news publication. Laura Kelly should be ashamed of herself. This is disgraceful. But Blinken in his speech also recognized the need for equal burden sharing in multilateral institutions and defense organizations. Oh, really? Equal burden sharing in defense organizations now and multilateral institutions. What do you think she might be referring to? Oh, it's NATO and the U.N. A hallmark of the Trump administration's criticisms of partner countries failing to meet NATO's requirements for defense spending. Blinken is set to say that such disagreements can be made with, quote, respect. 
We will always pull our weight and we will recognize when our allies are pulling theirs. Let's be frank. This has often been a contentious issue, particularly in the transatlantic relationship, he will say in his remarks. We need to be able to have these tough conversations and even to disagree while still treating each other with respect. Too often in recent years, we in the U.S. seem to have forgotten who our friends are. That has already changed. Oh, yeah. Thank goodness that we have Joe Biden heals up Kamala and Anthony Blinken making sure that we are restoring our friendship. With China, we are remembering who our friends are. We're going to have these tough conversations. We're just going to have them in a way that is totally weak, as proven by the fact that Tony Blinken actually tried to have a conversation with China last week. And the Chinese ambassador said, you have no business talking to us like you're doing so from a position of strength. That's the most punk the U.S. has ever been. Thank God these people are all legitimate because this is disgraceful. The secretary's speech at NATO is occurring alongside wide-ranging meetings with close U.S. allies that are taking place this week in Brussels. In his second trip abroad following face-to-face meetings in Japan and South Korea last week and part of efforts by the Biden administration to closely coordinate with allies over shared concerns with Beijing. What? This is like not even adult level writing. This is uh, this is so bad. Like they're trying to hide what the truth is by manipulating language in a sort of way that makes what they're saying sound okay, And instead, it just makes them sound like idiots. The U.S., European Union, United Kingdom and Canada announced sanctions earlier this week on Chinese officials for human rights abuses occurring in Xinjiang against the Uyghur ethnic minority. The first such coordinated action under the Biden administration. And that's the end of the article, because, yeah, why talk any more about this? So they announced sanctions against Chinese officials. I bet the Chinese are quaking in their boots. They're like, oh, I guess we better shut down the concentration camps. And Blinken and Biden and these other clowns are pretending that this is getting tough with China. You know what getting tough with China looks like? Telling them to end the concentration camps immediately or we will fully decouple from them. That's the direction that Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo were going. This is a moral disaster handed to us by communists who know absolutely nothing about anything. And that's why they always call things racist and sexist and homophobic and say things like everybody knows and listen to the science and listen to the data, even though 90 percent of them don't have the slightest fucking clue what the the science or the data are. This is pathetic, man. Oh, I'm angry again. Now, I think I might run a little long today, and if I do, I apologize, but it is what it is. So I'm going to switch subjects right now to one that will hopefully make me a little happier and laugh more. Newsweek is once again covering (laughs) QAnon, a thing that does not exist. There's Q, there are Anons. There is no QAnon. It's not a group with shared beliefs. They don't organize together. None of that happens. But here we go. This is uh, Ewan Palmer in Newsweek today 
QAnon claims stuck Suez Canal ship used by Hillary Clinton to traffic children. Now, I gotta say, I commend Newsweek for being so dumb that they are actually advertising for the opposition, for their opposition. They are actually putting the mo- in the minds of their idiot readers that this could actually be true. So let's see how they explain it. Followers of the QAnon conspiracy theory, not a thing, trying to find meaning behind the blocking of the Suez Canal by a cargo ship claim that the vessel is being used by Hillary Clinton for child sex trafficking. Well, no, that's not exactly what the claim that's being made is. But let's continue. Some supporters of the radical movement, radical, yeah, wow. That's me like uh, thrashing on my guitar. Some supporters of the radical movement are suggesting the 400 meter long ever given, that's what the ship's called, currently stuck in Egypt is being used to abuse children on behalf of the cabal of pedophiles they believe runs the United States. Well, I guess it's probably better to find out if this claim is actually true. Don't you think, Ewan? Others claim children held captive on the ship will be revealed to the world live on camera, justifying their beliefs. What? Who did you get that claim from, Newsweek? Is this another thing from Ken? Ken just told you that there was going to be a live reveal of captive children on this ship? Okay, that's incredible. Also, how often do ships get stuck sideways in the Suez Canal, blocking traffic in one of the world's major water fares? Is that what you call them? Water fares? Aqua fares? I'm not sure. In order to jump to this wild conclusion, QAnon supporters point to the vessel's operator, a Taiwan-based shipping company called Evergreen Marine Corporation. Clinton was given the Secret Service codename Evergreen when her husband, Bill Clinton, was president. The ship's call sign is H3RC, the same three letters as the initials of the 2016 presidential candidate. On the Telegram encrypted messaging app, A QAnon account with more than 106,000 subscribers wrote, Suez Canal blocked by huge container ship named Evergreen. Evergreen shipping is most likely a cover for human and sex trafficking. HRC equals Hillary Rodham Clinton. Evergreen equals Hillary's secret service name. Evergreen call sign H3RC. Well, thanks for explaining all that to us, Ewan. This is actually easier than trying to tell people what the claim is. Another influential QAnon advocate with more than 53,000 subscribers on the free speech, in quotes, social network Gab wrote, Evergreen is HRC's secret service name. It has also been speculated that Evergreen shipping is a front for human trafficking. Theory, ship gets stuck, international aid offered, containers opened on live TV. Uh, Okay. I guess someone believes that, so Newsweek has to report it. Please, please, find Ken. Bring Ken back. I would actually follow Ken just to see what he says every day because he's so quote-worthy. QAnon supporters often twist world events to suit their theories or claim they have been predicted by the mysterious figure known as Q. No, no, there's not really much of that. For years, Q would leave cryptic messages on message board sites, which were deciphered to form the basis of the conspiracy theorist's belief. What? 
These include the notion that leading Democrats and members of the Hollywood elite are child-eating pedophiles. Yeah, what an outlandish claim. They're, they're right. It's probably only people like Harvey Weinstein and Brian Singer, not child-eating pedophiles. And what about the, uh, the leading Democrats? Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Joe Biden lied about his own wife's death so that he could marry Jill Biden while both of them were married and had started affairs. Then he used to have uncomfortable showers with his own daughter while she was nine years old, as reported in her own handwriting in her own diary. Then he had Hunter Biden, who grew up to be a just absolute disgrace of a human, like sexual degenerate child porn on his computer, puts children in compromising situations, ends up with hookers in China who are filming him doing everything as reported in his own divorce proceedings. Again, none of this is conspiracy theory. Joe Biden covers that up. The media covers it up. Joe Biden goes around sniffing little children and other women constantly groping, uh, grabbing, stroking them. All of this is on video. You can watch it all. None of it is made up. And he's been accused of sexual assault, but the media doesn't care. So that's one leading Democrat. Shall we go on? How about how Nancy Pelosi's communist father with massive political ties and political positions as well as mafia ties got Nancy Pelosi's brother off for a gang rape of two children. How about that? Does that count? Now, back in the Hunter S. Thompson days, there was talk of adrenochrome. Silicon Valley, the TV show, which is hilarious, made jokes out of having a blood boy. And they were consenting adults in in the show. I think the show is hilarious. If that offends people, sorry. I don't think that that was offensive. But that's what people are talking about when they make these claims. So you can call them unsubstantiated all day, but they're not. And that's only very small examples right there. We could go on. That's not the point of my show or the focus of my show in general. So I'm not going to. But all of that is true. None of it is a conspiracy. And to describe it like this, like this is just too outlandish. They always put that child eating thing in there, right? Always. That's always in there. If Imagine this sentence without, without the words child eating, okay? These include the notion that leading Democrats and members of Hollywood elite are pedophiles. That actually doesn't even sound remotely problematic, does it? Adam Schiff and Ted Lieu are good friends with a guy named Ed Buck. Ed Buck was a major Los Angeles Democrat campaign donor and bundler. Maybe you should look into what Ed Buck, Ted Lieu, and Adam Schiff liked to do together. Ed Buck was arrested for having a habit of hiring underage black boys as prostitutes who he would then drug 
and kill. That, again, is not a conspiracy. So let me just read this sentence one more time without the child eating in it, right? These include the notion that leading Democrats and members of the Hollywood elite are pedophiles. I don't know anything wrong with that claim. In fact, that's not even a notion. It is just true that leading Democrats and members of the Hollywood elite are, in fact, pedophiles. Why do we have to pretend that that's not true? You throw in the child eating and it sounds crazy because you just think no one could possibly eat children. And that's what I've thought forever. And I still don't really think that that is necessarily true. But it might fucking be true. These people are, in fact, evil. What they do is evil. Okay? It's not me saying, oh, yeah, they're evil because they're on the other side. No. Drugging and raping and killing underage boys is evil. Showering with your nine-year-old daughter. Not great. Especially when you have a habit of groping and sniffing under other underage girls in public. That's Joe Biden. If your family uses their political connections and money and mafia ties to get a family member off for having been involved in a gang rape of an 11-year-old girl and a 13-year-old girl, that's evil. But let's get back to this beautiful Newsweek article. The first of these so-called Q-drops appeared on 4chan in October 2017, claiming that Clinton would soon be arrested. Well, I guess you still don't know how Q works, do you, buddy? Come on, you, and do better. For the next few years, thousands of the posts appeared online, often using phrases that became QAnon slogans. Well, what? <laughs> this, I mean, <laughs> there is some way in which that sentence is true, but even despite its being true, it still misses the mark of understanding what's happening there by like a thousand miles. No new messages have been posted for months, however, with their frequency slowing down considerably since former President Donald Trump, a savior-like figure for QAnon, lost the election in November. The conspiracy theorists do not necessarily need new posts to guide the movement, however. They simply reinterpret the existing catalog of messages to suit their purpose. Well, no, that's not exactly what it is either. In this case, the attempt to move the ship from the Suez Canal was predicted because Q had previously mentioned Evergreen and the words, when do you need a plumber in an April 2018 post? When do you call a plumber? When something's maybe blocked? One widely shared telegram by some of the biggest QAnon channels read. We have it all. This is not the first time an Evergreen vessel has been roped into a QAnon child trafficking conspiracy. In August 2020, a similar rumor was spread after the explosion at the port of Beirut, which killed more than 200 people. One widely shared Facebook image from the scene contained the caption, Evergreen Shipping Container, Human Trafficking by HRC. Fact-checking website PolitiFact labeled the claim false. 
Wow. 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 This dude is like red pilling motherfuckers and then telling them to check out PolitiFact because it says it's false. See that? I'm so much happier now. (laughs) Man, I think Evan or I mean, Ewan Palmer should be nominated for like uh, a Pulitzer Prize. Like they they have to create a whole new prize for Blue Anon. This is this is amazing. I mean, this is the most Blue Anon dude I've ever seen in my life. He writes multiple articles a day about QAnon and other stuff. Ready? This is just, I'm just going to read his headlines for the last 24 hours, like the 23rd and 24th. QAnon claims Suez Canal ship used by Hillary Clinton to traffic children. That's the one we just read. Alex Jones heckled by Yale students while filming for InfoWars on campus. Who the hell cares? That's not news. KKK event in Indiana to be met with counter demonstration. Why are you advertising a KKK event? Oath Keepers trial judge calls meeting. God, these headlines are so like poorly written. Like use some punctuation, dude. Oath Keepers trial judge calls meeting following sedition media reports. Okay. Does Colorado suffer more mass shootings than other states? Yeah, I can't wait to read 3,000 words on that. Man accused of giving Nazi salute. Yelling white power at black children. Oh no, somebody was accused of something. Did it happen? If you don't know if it happened, how about waiting until you find out? You are, after all, a reporter, right? QAnon claims Boulder shooting a false flag staged by actors. Better look into that one. 50 number one songs from the last 50 years. (laughs) What? Ewan must have, like, lost his mind yesterday. Maybe this dude is schizophrenic. Tributes paid to Eric Talley, Boulder police officer killed in shooting. And then, just because this one goes in line, I'll read his uh, March 22nd headline, too. QAnon supporter arrested for firing paintballs at Army reservists. Well, okay. This guy, this Blue Anon character seems obsessed he also is based in the london bureau what in the world is he doing writing about these events good lord this is amazing amazing i mean he just basically laid out all of the parts of the theory anyone who's going to read that will be like huh i wonder if that's true and hey ewan if you're going to try to say that The event in Beirut, which was also an evergreen ship, is false. You might not want to use PolitiFact, first of all. But second of all, it would be interesting to know if there are other shipping companies that have similar patterns of strange events. Because if really strange events like these are only happening to one shipping company, You might think there might be something strange about that shipping company. But again, what do I know? I'm a dumb, crazy conspiracy theorist. Whereas you, Anon, I mean, (laughs) you, Anon, you and Blue Anon Palmer is, uh, is a very smart guy who doesn't do conspiracy theories. And 
let's be realistic. He's probably one of the 90% who has no idea how non-lethal the coronavirus is. Now, updating a story that I discussed, I think, last week. The Federalist has an article today with the headline, Nancy Pelosi needs another House seat, so she's stealing it. This is by Tristan Justice. It's only okay to question an election outcome if you're a Democrat. Stacey Abrams was Exhibit A. Nancy Pelosi is Exhibit B. Earlier this month, the Democratic Speaker gave the House Administration Committee her blessing to move forward with a probe into failed candidate Rita Hart's challenge in the Iowa's 2nd Congressional District. Hart lost the race to freshman Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks by six votes, a result certified by bipartisan state election officials after multiple recounts. Well, it was six votes, Pelosi said on ABC's This Week several days ago. Dismissing criticism from Ohio Republican Representative Jim Jordan, who highlighted Democrats' double standards over objecting to election results. It was six votes, and our candidate, Rita Hart, asked for this process to begin. What the committee did, the House Administration Committee, was very narrow to take the process to the next step, and we'll see where it goes from there. Oh, well, that is a very, very succinct answer, Nancy. I guess Nancy's point is that Six votes is such a close margin in Iowa's second congressional district. It's not the same at all, for instance, as 9,000 votes in a state like Arizona that has roughly six and a half million people or 12,000 votes in a state like Georgia that has 10 million plus people. It's not a huge blowout like that. And, you know. The system is set up to make sure that Democrat candidates win. So obviously there's a problem if they don't win. And so we better get to the bottom of it. That's pretty much Nancy's viewpoint. Small margins of victory for the Democrats mean that not means that nothing could have possibly gone wrong. So we don't need to look into it. And that makes sense. An honest investigation will keep Miller Meeks in the House. Hart's appeal made directly to the partisan lower chamber rather than through state avenues for challenging an election result rests on 22 ballots the campaign claims were improperly rejected. According to the Democrats campaign, Hart would carry the race by nine votes if all were counted. Bipartisan panels of election workers, however, have already scrutinized the ballots in question and determined their invalidity under Iowa law. Well, that's awfully interesting, isn't it? They got to scrutinize the ballots. Wow. But don't expect an honest investigation conducted by Pelosi's deputies. The chair of the House Committee performing the review is California Rep. Zoe Lofgren, who also served as an impeachment manager for President Donald Trump's first sham impeachment. After Democrats exploited the January crisis at the Capitol to vilify all who dared even question the integrity of an election with historic turnout via unreliable mail voting, Pelosi, who finds herself presiding over the weakest majority of her speakership by just eight seats, now seeks to overturn the results of the Iowa House race herself. The same strategy worked for Abrams, who, despite not winning in the Georgia governor's race in 2018, claimed she did anyway, launched a nationwide elections group in the process and became a star studded media favorite who muscled her way into consideration for vice president, despite not having actually won any statewide contest. On the other hand, even some Democrats have come out to oppose Pelosi's desperate power grab to expand her majority. At this point, reps 
Susan Wilde of Pennsylvania, Chris Pappas of New Hampshire and Dean Phillips of Minnesota have each come out against the House taking up Hart's challenge. North Carolina Democratic Rep David Price didn't do Pelosi any favors on Fox News this weekend either. I don't think there's the slightest chance that Democrats will unseat Miller Meeks, he said. In Iowa, the group of Democrats supporting Hart's challenge is smaller than that on Capitol Hill. That's interesting. There's fewer Democrats in Iowa who think this should be done than there are in Washington. The people furthest away from the situation think that it should definitely be done so that they can acquire more power. That's where we are right now. Let's not be shy about what it is they're doing here. Democratic Rep. Cindy Axney is the only federal or statewide Democrat in the state supporting Hart and Pelosi's movement to disenfranchise its voters. In January, however, Axney refused to work with any Republicans who supported objections to the November election. And the article goes on. Please read it yourself if you like. I told you where to find it. The last line here is great. Pelosi appears to have found a simple solution permitted by a complicit media. Steal a seat. And that's exactly right. I would point out how amazing this brazen hypocrisy is but really what difference does it make they are allowed to be hypocrites because they have the stupidest supporters on earth the kind of supporters who are so dumb that 90 percent of them think that more than five percent of the people infected with the coronavirus go to the hospital that dumb rock dumb Child brain dumb, like literally can't think through the most obvious issues. Dumb, that dumb. And no, I don't feel bad about calling these people dumb. They are dumb. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they were able to learn the dance to Cardi B's wet ass pussy. Okay. (laughs) They might be good at certain things. That doesn't mean they're not rock dumb. They have an, a total inability to think about the most important issues of their lives in any significant way beyond whether or not it satisfies the needs of their own egos. They are always catering to their desires or their fears and nothing else. They do not know anything. And they are totally unmoored from reality and any sense of principle. So calling them out for being hypocrites is largely pointless, but still sometimes fun. One last article. And sorry for how long this is. Biden under fire for border wall cash freeze. Shockingly, this article is appearing in mainstream communist state media outlet. Politico, and it's written by a woman named Caitlin Emma, and I feel like I've read one of her things recently. An unfavorable ruling from GAO would bolster Republicans in branding Biden as a rule breaker as they blame him for the surge of migrants and unaccompanied children at the southern border. That was one run on sentence that actually was working as the subheadline for this article. Goodness gracious. Who are these people who edit these outlets? It's incredible. Like Donald Trump, Joe Biden has made a border wall promise he might not have the legal authority to keep. Now, 
I assume she must be talking about how Mexico would pay for it. And we can get into that at some point, but I'm not going to bother today because it's irrelevant to this article. And that had nothing to do with Donald Trump's legal authority. So this is already a false premise here set up to make it sound like the thing that Joe Biden is trying to do was just the same as what Trump tried to do. On his first day in office, Biden hit pause on billions of dollars set to be spent on his predecessor's long-touted barrier between the U.S. and Mexico while his administration figured out next steps for the money. No, that's not exactly what happened, but okay. Now the Government Accountability Office is launching a review to determine whether the new president broke the law by freezing the money in violation of budget rules designed to keep Congress in control of the cash flow, the federal watchdog confirmed this week. An unfavorable ruling from GAO would bolster Republicans in branding Biden as a rule breaker as they blame him for the surge of migrants and unaccompanied children at the southern border. So there's that sentence again. I guess we needed to read it twice within two minutes. The pause on spending directly contributed to that flood of border crossers. Senate Republicans said in their plea last week for GAO to opine on the issue. Now, that's obviously true. These writers pretend that when anything, I know I've said this even a couple times this episode, but here's another example of this. They're acting like something that's obviously true is just a simple matter of opinion because it doesn't suit their narrative. More than 70 House Republicans followed Tuesday in asking for a GAO opinion, which the watchdog typically provides whenever a member of Congress requests one. Besides, Republicans say, Biden should know better after more than 30 years as a senator. As Senator Roy Blunt, chairman of the Senate Republican Policy Committee, put it, he was in Congress a long time, Blunt said in an interview. He knows it's the Congress's job to authorize how the money is spent and the president's job to spend it efficiently. Now, of course, Joe Biden can't actually get the Congress to act on this, which is why he's doing it by executive order. The thing he's doing isn't actually popular and none of the members would actually want to take responsibility for it. You see how that works? Joe Biden can do whatever he wants. The Congress allows itself to be totally unaccountable. And that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing a great job of trying to fix right now. But he can just do this stuff and the blowback doesn't matter because the media is never going to truly hold him responsible. Even if GAO decides Biden has illegally halted border wall funding, he is unlikely to face any formal punishment, <laughs> particularly not the blowback and impeachment Trump went through after the former president halted Ukraine aid without Congress's say so. That is not what that impeachment was about. I mean, this is just blatantly dishonest. The White House also notes that Biden's hold differs in several key ways from Trump's move to lock up the foreign assistance, which GAO deemed illegal last year. Biden's proclamation in January set this process in motion in a public, transparent way while directing agencies to comply with appropriations law, an OMB spokesperson said. So that's their excuse. The probe highlights the challenge presidents have historically faced in fulfilling campaign promises that require money to be spent or suspended at odds with Congress's intent. 
During his administration, Trump shifted shifted money away from accounts for things like military construction projects to pay for the border barrier as he struggled to get congressional Democrats to agree to the funding levels needed to build the big, beautiful wall he promised his supporters. Now Biden is facing trouble in trying to turn off that funding spigot after saying last year that, quote, not another foot of wall, end quote, would be constructed during his administration. Another nonsense Biden promise that will prove to be a lie. The Biden administration has to be really careful about doing stuff like this, because otherwise they're just going to be doing the exact thing that the Trump administration did just at the other end of the policy spectrum, said Dylan Hetler Gaudet, a manager at the Watchdog Group Project on Government Oversight. Yes, it's exactly the same. Just a slight policy difference. In Biden's defense, administration officials make two main arguments. First, they say halting funding for the border wall was needed to buy the administration time to come up with a plan for spending the money. Really? They didn't think about this at all while they were setting up the theft and usurpation of the American presidency? They didn't consider this, how to spend the money. That's weird because they considered, obviously, what the rest of the border policies were going to be. That's how they ruined the situation so quickly. An OMB spokesperson called it a, quote, necessary and responsible step for prudent management of federal funds, end quote, considering the bevy of ongoing lawsuits against Trump's project. No, false, wrong, you lied. White House officials add that the pause on funding has been formal and public with plenty of time left to legally spend that cash and clear instructions that federal agencies must follow spending law. In contrast, they note, Trump tried to secretly seize funding like the Ukraine aid in 2019 and permanently tie up government money by taking action right before the annual spending deadline. And isn't this interesting, by the way, that Caitlin Emma, is that even a real name? Rather than explaining herself as the person writing this article, she shifts the responsibility for this false claim about Ukraine onto White House officials. You see, in a better time, the media would have actually gone into that claim to determine whether or not it's right. Instead, she's just reporting that the White House officials said it, And she has mentioned it multiple times now in the article. So the reader naturally assumes that what she's saying is true, even though it's entirely unsubstantiated in this article. And she likely would not be able to prove it no matter how long she spent. The Senate Republicans who asked GAO to weigh in on Biden's funding move said, quote, billions in lawfully appropriated dollars sit unused by the Biden administration, end quote, which amounts to a violation of a 1974 law that curbs a president's power to alter funding Congress provides. Quote, a lot of us agree that the border wall was a very stupid idea, a waste of money, but Congress decided to waste the money on that, said Hitler Godet. I guess he's a very nonpartisan guy in that good old watchdog group. What, the, what exactly is the point of a watchdog group that lies about one side and protects one side while going after the other side? That's not a watchdog. That's not objective. That's a man with an obvious political agenda. You agree that the border wall was stupid, really? That's funny because we didn't have this immigration crisis under Trump. 
We did under Obama. We do under Biden. The way to address that is not to have the executive branch override the legislative branch. Oh, very watchdoggy. That's objective. Legality aside, congressional leaders say both Trump and Biden's funding actions illustrate the need for more transparency and teeth in federal budget law. Wow, who cares? Under the leadership of progressive Democrat John Yarmuth, the House Budget Committee is determined to reassert and strengthen Congress's power of the purse while (laughs) apparently just giving all the responsibility away to the president. Hey, sign executive orders left and right. No worries. And he said they'll review the GAO's response to the senator's inquiry. Oh, so you're going to review the response. How bold. The Kentucky congressman also plans to reintroduce legislation that would, quote, increase transparency around executive spending and, quote, the aide said it's unclear if the Biden administration will support the bill, which would require OMB to make public its instructions for spending money, shedding light on the administration's funding decisions in a change that some advocates believe is necessary, regardless of who is president. Well, really throwing us a bone there. Even though. The GAO determined that Trump's budget office violated the law when it froze U.S. military aid to Ukraine. The former president faced no penalty and was acquitted on impeachment charges, unrelated, of abusing his power by withholding the foreign assistance. Quote, faithful execution of the law does not permit the president to substitute his own policy priorities for those that Congress has enacted into the law. GAO wrote early last year. Now, in principle, that's great. They should apply that principle to how election laws were illegally changed by Democrats to steal an election. The Trump administration's decision to impede hundreds of billions of dollars in assistance to Ukraine happened behind closed doors until Politico broke the news in August 2019. OMB had used what's known as an apportionment footnote to hold up that money, which was released only a few weeks before it was set to expire. Trump's OMB chalked it up to a programmatic delay, an often legitimate reason for spending pauses that the GAO vehemently swatted down, citing the president's policy and political ambitions as congressional Democrats accused Trump of leveraging the funds to damage Biden's image ahead of the 2020 presidential election. Again, she's incorporating the false narrative here. Joe Biden and his son are actually corrupt vis-a-vis Ukraine. Trump's looking into that was 100% right. Joe Biden's presidential election should have been damaged by this because he was selling U.S. policy to our foreign adversaries. This had nothing to do with the president's political ambitions. Utter nonsense. Trump's budget office also used the same tactics to enact a number of other policy goals, including a halt to funding for the WHO amid accusations that it bungled the global response to the coronavirus pandemic and gave too much deference to China. All true. Drawing a distinction between Trump's actions and Biden's move, a current OMB official told Politico that the White House budget office under the new president has never used that apportionment tool to freeze money for border wall construction. A bipartisan government funding package signed into law late last year included $1.4 billion for the wall in line with what Congress gave Trump through previous spending packages. Biden's pause, which his administration also characterized as a programmatic delay, was announced publicly via presidential proclamation. The administration has also promised to release the money if the pause violated congressional intent. The Biden administration still plans to spend the border wall funds and agencies could ultimately divvy up the dollars for other wall related purposes allowed by law, like fencing repairs. 
Jennifer Schultes contributed to this report. So again, we have multiple bylines here because gosh, this was just such a brilliant piece of journalistic work that we needed multiple people. All this thing did, right, was tell you how Joe Biden might be in trouble and then try to explain how it's really not a big deal and Trump is worse anyway, so go back to sleep. That's what the media does right now, state media politico. It actually seems like they're going to break important news, but they do it in such a specific way that they will convince their readers that even though this thing is wrong, there's nothing to worry about. This gives them the out. This gives them the opportunity to say, oh, well, Trump did this with Ukraine. Okay, commie, explain what Trump did with Ukraine. I'll be here waiting until you go in the bathroom, Google it, come back out, try to tell me what you just learned, and then I ask you one more question, and suddenly you have to go pee again. Because that's how it is, commies. Don't lie. You don't know anything. You can't answer questions. You're dumb as shit. 90% of you think that more than 1 in 20 people who get the coronavirus go to the hospital. You fucking morons. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. 
The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!